0: Oh, the splendors and miseries of an old Bailey hack. Some cases of Horace Rumpole, barrister at law, as told to and written down by John Mortimer, with Morris Denham as Rumpole and Margot Boyd as Hilda. Rumpole and the expert witness.
1: Sally! Wake up, Sally! Please, Sally, for God's
2: sake! What is it? Ned. I loved you, Ned. I did. Sally!
3: Oh, who can minister to a mind diseased? Pluck from the memory a rooted sorrow... Raise out the written troubles of the brain, and with some sweet oblivious antidote, cleanse the stuffed bosom of that perilous stuff which weighs upon the heart. Well, certainly not young Dr. Ned Dacre, the popular GP of Hunter's Hill, that delightful little dormitory town in Surrey, where nothing is heard but the whir of the kitchen mixers running up French dishes from the Sunday supplements, and the purr of hi-fis playing baroque music to go with Sunday Buck's Fizz.
1: Is that the Mobley Hospital? Casualty. This is Dr. Dacre here. Yes, Dr. Ned. It's my wife. She seems to have had some sort of accident. Yes, yes, as as quickly as you can.
3: Dr. Ned Dacre lived in a world removed from my usual clients the old Bailey villains whose most common disease is a nasty long spell in the neck. He had two cars, two fair-haired children called Simon and Sarah, at rather nice schools, an au pair girl, an old English sheepdog, a swimming pool, a car pot, and a machine for recording television programmes so that he didn't have to keep watching television. He had all, it seemed, that the heart of man could desire, except that he had an unhappy wife.
4: What's the news in the Times, Rumpel? Mm. Has war started?
3: Oh, Dr. Dacre has been arrested in Hunter's Hill, Surrey. charged with murdering his wife.
4: Oh, a letter from Dodo. You know my friend Dodo, Rumpel. Mm, the one who keeps a tea
3: shop in Devon. Well, she's
4: always asking me to pop down and stay.
3: Mm. Why don't you? Dr. Dacre... Dacre, the name's distinctly familiar. Dodo never cared much for you, Rumpel. Mm. Feelings mutual. Isn't she the one who wears amber beads and smells of scones?
4: Dacre. Mm. Oh, Dodo's been suffering from depression. Of course, she's never married.
3: Well, then, I can't think what she's got to feel depressed about. But Dr Harry Dacre... He gave evidence of my greatest triumph, the Penge bungalow murders. Oh. He'd seen my client's bruises.
4: Dodo writes that she's on a new sort of pill for her depression. Mm, they're helping her, but you mustn't eat cheese or marmite.
3: Mm, poor old Dodo, deprived of marmite. No, it can't be him. This is Dr. Ned Dacre. Oh, well, it's just another nice little murder that's never going to come my way. Cause of death, cerebral hemorrhage. That's the evidence in the Magistrate's court, sustained in an alleged attack.
4: Mm. Rumpole, you're Mm? never going to chambers like that, are you?
3: Like what, Hilda? Yeah, it must have been quite an attack.
4: Well, your stud showing, and, oh, you have marmalade on your waistcoat. Well, well, and you have uh, to have that old silk handkerchief half falling out of your top pocket.
3: That was the silk handkerchief I used to blow my nose on three times tearfully in my final speech in the double murder in the Deptford Old People's Home. Oh. It has a certain sentimental value. Well, let's to try
4: and mop up your waistcoat a bit then.
3: Hilda, would, would you leave me alone, no, I Hilda. just want
4: you to look your best, Rumpoo.
3: You mean in case I get run over? And, and
4: I put that old handkerchief in the wash. you will be much better off with a few nice, clean tissues. You know
3: what that fellow Dacre's been accused of, Hilda? Murdering his wife. Good morning, Henry. Ah, it's good morning, good morning, Diane. Morning, this is a bit of a dull day today, isn't it? What have I got? Ah, uh, 2.30, defrauding the customs and excise at the Uxbridge Manchester's Court. Four o'clock, corn in the house breaking. <laughs> Run of the mill, Henry, no nice murders on the menu,
1: are there? Well, I'm not sure, sir. You're not sure? There's a Dr. Henry Dacre phone to come and see you urgently, sir. Uh-huh. It seems his son's in a bit of trouble. He's come with Mr. Kane of instructing solicitors. Uh, put them in your room, Mr. Rumpel. In my room, old Dr. Dacre.
3: I began to sniff the memory of ancient battles, a uh, never to be forgotten victory.
5: Uh, Mr. Rumpel. <laughs> Doctor. Uh, Mr. Kane. Rumpel. <laughs> it's been a long time...
3: How long? A legal lifetime since I did that case of R versus Samuel Poultry, better known as the Penge Bungalow Murders, which altered the course of legal history by proving that Horace Rumpole could win a capital case alone and without a leader. Young Dr. Harry Dacre, then a GP at Penge, gave valuable evidence for the defence, and young Rumpole made the most of it. I was far
5: too long. When my son Ned had this trouble,
3: and the old doctor spoke of the charge of wife murder as though it were a little touch of flu, which might be cured by a couple of aspirin and a day in bed. Trouble with his wife, I imagine.
5: Sally was an extraordinarily pretty girl. Tell be spoilt, of course. Ned gave her anything she wanted,
3: including a cerebral hemorrhage. No, rumble. keep your mouth shut and listen quietly.
5: She had her problems, of course. Nervous trouble. Well. Half the women in Hunter's Hill have got a touch of the nervy. All these labour-saving devices in the kitchen give them too much time to think.
3: Not a pioneer of women's libel," Dr Harry.
5: And was she taking anything for her nerves? Sally was scared of pills, afraid she might get hooked. Although she didn't mind taking the odd drink too many. Mm. Did you think she
3: needed medical treatment? Ned and I discussed it, but Sally wouldn't cooperate. Now just remind me, Mr Kane, of the Crown's medical evidence. We don't disagree about the cause of death. Cerebral hemorrhage? Hmm. No doubt about that. But it's the other findings that
6: are the difficulties. Which are? Multiple bruising of the body, particularly the legs, back and buttocks, and the wound on the head where the deceased girl fell and knocked the edge of the coffee table. Which
3: caused the hemorrhage of the
5: brain? No doubt about it. The trouble is, the pathologist says the bruising was inflicted before the death. The implication being that my son beat his
3: wife up. I see. Now tell me, who's the miracle of the all, the prosecution prince of the post-mortem? Who's the great brain on the other side? Hmm? It's a local pathologist.
5: Does all the work in this part of the country. Would I have heard of him? Oh, it's not a him. It's a Dr. Pamela Gall. Hmm. Uh, and that's the irony of it. Ned knows her extremely well. They were at Bart's together, before he met Sally, of course. He brought her home for the weekend once or twice. I almost thought they might make a go
3: of it. And by this time I was beginning to feel some sympathy for Dr. Ned. What's enough to be put on trial for murder without having your ex-girlfriend examine your deceased wife's body and provide what turns out to be the only real evidence for the prosecution?
1: I just don't understand. I simply don't understand it.
3: Friendly young Dr. Ned sat in the unfriendly surroundings of the prison interview room. He looked concerned but curiously detached. So he'd just hit on a mysterious tropical disease which fitted no known description. Doctor, you and your wife Sally got on moderately well together?
1: Well, we had our quarrels, of course,
3: like all married couples. It was the second time I'd heard that. But I thought all married couples don't end up with one dead and the other in the nick awaiting trial on a charge of willful murder. But she suffered from depression? Yes. And took nothing for it?
1: Well, my father was her, Doctor. Hmm. I thought that was more professional. I'm not sure if he prescribed to or anything, but I, I don't think so. There was nothing found in the stomach.
3: He was charming and seemed only politely concerned. I don't know why I felt a sudden chill at discussing the contents of his dead wife's stomach with the doctor. The no pills, the report says that.
1: Uh, That's Dr. Gore's report.
3: Yes, yeah, talks of the remains of a meal and a good deal of alcohol in the blood.
1: He had a bottle of Chianti and a souffle. We were alone that night. We had it in front of the television.
3: Your wife cooked?
1: Uh, no, no. I may not be an absolutely brilliant doctor, but my souffles are pretty good. <laughs> uh, cigar? Uh, no, thanks. I don't oh. mm.
3: uh, Did you um, quarrel that evening? I mean, like all married couples?
1: Not at all. Oh. We had a discussion about where we go for our holiday, settled on Creed. Sally had never been there, and I had only once. Before we met, actually. Had
3: that been I wanted a romantic packaged fortnight with the pathologist for the crown? And then?
1: She complained of a headache. She was standing up to get herself a brandy, and... And? Well, she stumbled and, and fell forwards.
3: face forwards? Doctor, what, your friend, the pathologist? Hardly
1: my friend any longer. Mm-hmm.
3: She found extensive bruising on your wife's back, her buttocks, and the back of her legs.
1: That's what I can't understand.
3: You're quite sure she didn't fall backwards?
1: No, I told you. She fell forwards.
3: Physician, heal thyself. Dr. Ned and his wife were quite alone, so who would quarrel with a description of her falling backwards and bruising herself? But either Dr. Ned was totally honest or strangely obtuse. And you can't account for the alleged bruises on her back?
1: No. Um, there is one thing perhaps I ought to tell you.
3: About your wife?
1: No, about Dr Pamela Gall. We were at Bart's together, you know.
3: And went to Crete once on a package holiday?
1: How did you know that?
3: It was an inspired guess, so I didn't answer his question. So you think the crown expert witness might be a little helpful to us in the witness
1: box? Not at all. In fact, I'm afraid she'll do everything she can to get me convicted.
3: For the first time in my conference at Dr. Ned, I began to sniff the faint, faraway odour of a defence.
1: See, Pamela was a, a very possessive girl. I mean, she was always, well, very, very jealous. I mean, abnormally so.
3: When you married Sally?
1: When I met Sally, I suppose. Well, after that holiday, Pam thought we might get married. And Then I didn't ring her, and I began to get the most awful letters and, and threatening phone calls from her. Well, threatening what? It was all very vague, to tell my father or my patients or the GMC that she was pregnant.
3: Mm. Would any of these august bodies have cared?
1: Not in the least. It wasn't true, anyway. Well, then it seemed to calm down for a while, but I still got letters on my wedding anniversary or on some date which Pamela seemed to think was important. I had a really dreadful letter from her last week. She said I'd ruined my life by marrying a drunk and that she'd tell Sally we were still meeting unless... Yes? Well, (laughs) unless we still met.
3: Did your wife see the letter?
1: No. I always get up early and get the post.
3: You've kept the letter, of course.
1: No. I tore it up at once.
3: If only people had the sense to realise they might be facing a murder trial at any moment, they might keep important documents. And
1: what did she say? That she'd find some way of ruining my life, even if it took her the rest of her life.
3: Hell, I suppose, hath no fury like a lady pathologist scorned. But Dr. Pamela Gall's personal interest in the Dacre murder seemed to provide the only faint hope of a cure in Dr. Maid's somewhat desperate situation. Everything about the Dacre murder trial was thoroughly pleasant. The old red-brick Georgian courtroom was an object of beauty among the supermarkets and boutiques of the little Surrey town. It was so damn pleasant that you expected nice girls with Rodine accents to pass round the court serving coffee and rock cakes. The jury looked as though they'd dropped in for a rather gentle session of gardener's question time. And Owen Munro, QC, was a pleasant prosecutor who seemed thoroughly distressed at having to press such a nasty charge as willful murder against the nice young doctor who sat in the dock wearing his well-pressed suit and old Bart's tie.
6: My lord, I propose to call the pathologist next. Very well. Will that be convenient to you, Mr. Rumpole?
3: Old Mr. Justice Skelton made a thoroughly pleasant judge. He was out to show every courtesy to the defence, a ploy which almost always leads to a conviction. Uh, Certainly, my lord, that'll be quite convenient.
6: Uh, I I wish to make quite sure, Mr. Rumpole, that you have every opportunity to prepare yourself to cross-examine the expert witness.
3: You see what I mean. The judge was making sure I would have no alibi if I couldn't succeed in cracking, Dr. Pamela. I'd have been far better off with old swine-like Judge Bullingham charging head-on at the defence. In this very pleasant trial, Rumpel yeah. would have no excuses. I'm uh, quite prepared, my lord, thank you. Very well, then.
6: I call Dr. Pamela Gall. Uh, Mr. Munro, as the pathologist oh. is about to give evidence... Yes, my lord? I suppose the jury will have to look at the photographs of the dead lady. Yes, my lord. It is bundle number four. Uh, oh. uh, members of the jury, I'm afraid you will find these photographs extremely distressing. It's necessary for you to see them so that you may understand the medical evidence fully, but I, I'm sure... Council will take matters shortly as possible. The, these things are never pleasant. And something you
3: just don't do in that part of Surrey.
2: I swear by almighty God that the evidence I shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Uh,
3: Dr. Pamela Gall?
2: Yes.
6: Member of the Royal College of Physicians, fellow of the College of Pathologists. Yes. Did you examine the body of the late Sally Decker, the deceased mm. in this case? I did, yes. Just tell us what you found.
2: I found a well-nourished, healthy woman of 35 years of age who had died of a cerebral hemorrhage. There was evidence of a recent meal.
3: Unlike the well-nourished and healthy deceased, who, when alive, must have been an eye-catching blonde, and who, even in the jury's sad photographs, had a wan and tragic beauty, Dr Pamela was pale and even uninteresting to look at. Her hair was thin and mousy. She wore a severe black suit and national health spectacles behind which her eyes glowed with some obsession, either love of her gloomy work or hatred of Dr. Ned.
6: Now, you say that you found widespread bruising on the deceased's back and buttocks. What was that consistent with?
2: I thought it was consistent with a violent attack from behind. I thought Mrs. Dacre had probably been struck and kicked by... Well, it appeared that she was alone that evening with her husband. Uh, I object,
6: my lord. Yes, Mr. Rumpole. As you, you're perfectly right to do so, Doctor Gaul. It is not for you to say who beat this lady and kicked her. That is entirely a matter for the jury. That is why Mr. Rumpole has quite rightly objected.
3: I wish His Lordship would stop being so lethally pleasant. But
6: I understand that your evidence is that she was kicked and beaten by someone. Yes, my lord. Kicked and beaten. No further questions, my lord. Very uh,
3: well. Uh, yes, Mr Rumpel. Ah, oh, my lord. Uh, Dr Gall, you knew this family well, didn't you?
2: This family?
3: No, oh, I stand corrected. I should have said you knew Dr Dacre well, didn't you?
2: We were at Bart's together.
3: And went out together, as the saying is nowadays? Occasionally, yes. <laughs> Going out so often nowadays, meaning staying in together? What do you mean?
6: Yes, I think you should make that just a little clearer, Mr. Rumpo, Yes, of course I
3: will, my lord. Thank you, Mr. Rumpo. Now, you and Dr. Ned Dacre went on a holiday to Crete together, didn't you, before he was married?
2: Yes, we did.
3: And the dear old gardener's question time fans on the jury looked suddenly interested, as if Professor Alan Gemmell had revealed a new and deadly form of potato blight. And did you become his... <laughs> what expression would you like me to use? His... Girlfriend? paramour, Mistress?
2: We shared a bed,
3: yes. Presumably not for the purposes of revising your anatomy notes together.
2: He was my lover, if that's how you want to put it.
3: Thank you, Dr. Gaul. I'm sure the members of the jury understand. I would also like the jury to understand that you became extremely angry when Dr. Ned Dacre got married.
2: I was disappointed, yes. Yes,
3: angry and jealous of the lady whose dead body you examined.
2: I suppose I was naturally upset that Ned had married someone else.
3: So upset that you wrote him a letter only a week or so before this tragedy in which you told him you wanted to hurt him as much as you possibly could. I may have done. You may have done. But by then he'd been married for eight years and had two children and yet you were still harbouring this terrible
2: grudge. There are some things you don't forget, Mr Rumpole.
3: And some things you don't forgive, Dr Gall. Has your feeling of jealousy and hatred for my client in any way coloured your evidence against him? Has it, Dr. Gall? I don't think so. She said it so unconvincingly that I saw the jury's disapproval. It was first game to rumpole, and I moved into the decider. Dr. Gall, after death, the body becomes subject to a condition called hypostasis.
2: That is so,
3: yes. The blood drains to the lowest area when circulation ceases. Yes. So that if the body had been lying on its back, the blood would naturally drain to the buttocks and the backs of the legs.
2: That's perfectly right. Did you say
3: Mr Rumpole's
2: right about that? Yes, my lord. Yes,
3: thank you, doctor. And the draining down of the blood causes discoloration of the skin of a dead body, which can look like bruising? I began to get a strange feeling that it was all going too well when the pale lady doctor admitted...
2: It can look exactly like bruising, yes.
3: And therefore, it's difficult to tell simply by the colour of the skin <clears throat> if a patch is caused by hypostasis or bruising. It can be very misleading.
2: Yes, it can be.
3: So you must insert a knife under the skin to see what has caused the discoloration, must you not?
2: That is the standard test, Yes.
3: If some blood flows, it's hypostasis. But if the blood under the skin is coagulated and does not flow, it's probably a bruise. Well, Dr. Gall, what do you have to say about that?
2: I would say, my lord, that Mr. Rumpo would be well equipped to lecture on forensic medicine.
3: Yes, that test was carried out in a case called the Penge Bungalow Murders, Dr. Gall, no doubt before you were gone.
2: <laughs> I'm afraid it was.
3: So... What happened when you inserted a knife into the discoloured portions?
2: I didn't. What? I didn't carry out that particular test.
4: You didn't? No. Can you
6: tell us why not?
2: I'm afraid I must have jumped to the conclusion that they were bruises, and I didn't trouble to carry out any further test, my lord. You jumped to the
6: conclusion? Yes. You know, Dr. Gawle, the jury aren't going to be asked to convict Dr. Dacre by jumping
3: to conclusions. I know that. My lord is of course perfectly right. The case against my client has to be proved beyond reasonable doubt so that the jury are sure. Can I take it that you're not sure there were any bruises at all?
2: Not as you put it now. No, I'm not sure. I'm and so
6: not at one moment, Mr.
3: Rumpel.
2: Ah.
6: I'm not sure there were any bruises.
2: Yes, Mr.
3: Rumpel, yes. My lord. And so you are not sure Mrs. Dacre was attacked by anyone?
2: I can't be sure, no.
3: So she may simply have stumbled, hit her head against the coffee table, and died of a cerebral hemorrhage.
2: It might have happened in that way, yes.
6: Stumbled because she'd had too much to drink?
2: Her blood alcohol level was considerably above the breathalyzer level, yes, my lord.
3: And you knew this family?
2: I knew about them, yes.
3: And was it not one of your complaints that in marrying Sally, Dr. Ned had married a drunk?
2: I did say that in my letter.
3: The sort of girl who might drink too much wine, stumble against a chromium coffee table, hit her head and receive a cerebral hemorrhage by accident? Well,
2: Dr. Gall, what's the answer? I must admit... It might have happened in that way, yes.
3: Thank you very much, Dr. Pamela Gore. (coughs) Game set and match to Rumpel. It had been almost too easy. But I was intoxicated by the delightful sensation of winning when the pleasant judge told the jury that, in view of the concessions made by the expert witness, there was really no evidence on which they could possibly convict the good doctor, and directed them to pronounce those two words which are always music to Rumpole's ears. Not guilty. We all went out into the corridor. Loyal patients came to shake the young doctor's hand and congratulate him as politely as if he'd just won first prize for growing the longest leek. Mr Rumpole,
5: I knew you'd come up jump, sir. I shall never forget this. Never.
3: No, nor shall I. I was looking across the crowd at a door through which the expert witness, the Crown's pathologist, Dr Pamela Gall, had just appeared. She was smiling, Dr Ned. And unless I was very much mistaken, he was smiling back. Was it only a smile, or did I detect in a movement of the young doctor's head the tremble of a wink? I went up to Doctor Ned. He smiled his undying gratitude. Mr. Rumpel, that was right. You're the best. No nonsense. It was easy, too easy.
1: Why do you say that?
3: I didn't answer him. Instead, I asked a question. I was meaning to ask you this before, Doctor. I don't suppose it matters now, but I'd like to know the answer for my own satisfaction. What sort of souffle was it you cooked for your wife that evening? He might have lied, but I don't suppose he thought there was any point in it. Instead, he answered as if he enjoyed telling me the truth. Cheese? A few weeks later, I got an invitation to a cocktail party in Hunters Hill. Dr. Ned, it seemed, had something to celebrate. I felt I owed it to myself to go.
1: Mr. Rumpole, ah, so glad you could come. Mm. Well, let me get you a drink. No,
3: thank you. I looked round the pleasant room at the pleasant faces and the two thoroughly nice children handing round canopy. I noticed the queen of them all, Dr. Pamela Gore, dressed up to the nines at the corner of the room. And then I looked at the nice young doctor who was pouring me out a generous buck's
1: fizz. Here's your drink, Mr Rumper. Oh, thank you. Oh, would you like Mm -hmm. a light for that cigar? Thank you. (laughs) Mm. Oh,
3: you got off, of course. I can't try you for it again. That was the arrangement, wasn't it?
1: What arrangement?
3: Between you and the Crown Pathologist. She'd make some rather silly suggestions about bruises (gasps) and then admit she was wrong a yeah, very careful young man, Dr. Ned. Now they can never try you for what you really did. <coughs>
5: Are you joking? Well,
3: never more serious in my life.
1: All right, then. What did I really do?
3: Opened a few capsules and poured them into your wife's glass of Chianti. The cheese and the souffle reacted just the way you planned. All you had to do was make sure her head hit the table. What are you going to do about it? There's nothing I can do now, you know that. Except tell you that I know. I'm not quite the idiot you and Dr. Pamela took me for. At least you know I know that, Dr. Ned. He was a murderer. An old-fashioned, simple murderer. And what was almost worse, he'd used me as part of his crime and done his best to spoil the golden memory of the Penge bungalow murders for me.
1: Quiet, everybody. Quiet, quiet, quiet.
5: Thank you, thank you. Right I think Ned's got something to say.
1: <laughs> oh I just wanted to say, now all our friends are here under one roof, that, <laughs> of course, no-one can ever replace Sally, for me or for the children. But with Simon and Sarah's approval, there's going to be another doctor in the Dacre family. Pamela's agreed to be my
2: wife
3: I hear it was a thoroughly nice wedding I looked hard at the photograph in the Times and tried to detect in that open and smiling young doctor's face a sign of guilt that perilous stuff which weighs upon the heart I saw none
0: that was Maurice Denham as Rumpole and Margot Boyd as Hilda in The Expert Witness. Mr Justice Skelton was played by Derek Farr, Owen Munry QC, Ellis Dale, Henry Hayden Wood, Dr Harry Dacre, Norman Mitchell, Sally Dacre, Rowena Roberts, Dr. Pamela Gall, Elizabeth Bell, and Dr. Ned Dacre, David Collings. Rumpole and the Expert Witness was written by John Mortimer and directed by Peter King.